What's up, everybody? Welcome to a new episode of Metric, the UX podcast. I'm Michael Schofield. I'm Tim Broadwater. And uh, we're recording. It's it's not right to say, oh, dark early in the morning because it's like nine and the, the sun is out where I am. Yeah, but I just feel incredibly groggy. So how are you doing this morning? Um, I'm great, actually. I think tomorrow's probably going to be worse because it's daylight savings, right? Oh, so. that sucks. Let's talk about something that really needs to get UX out of existence. Uh, <laughs> Is it? So I know it says spring forward, right? So tomorrow it'll be eight o'clock right now, where it's nine now. Oh. Is that correct? I think that's correct. See, that's I think that's the point right there. Like people don't even understand why we're doing it anymore. And when you actually look at all the videos and the research of why they did it, it's like to save energy during world war one, you know, it's <laughs> like, why are we, <laughs> no one's a farmer. I don't, I don't get it. Anyways. Uh, th- this is, this might not be a bad transition. So if I recall, like we were kind of mentally putting together a list to bring back today to talk about these things that kind of like delight us, like in the mundane aspects of our lives. And I just kind of yeah. want to dovetail right into that, right into your World War One example, because <laughs> <laughs> so like so I just spent um, a few days in Austin where I was um, invited to give like a workshop on service design. They had this cold snap where Austin was like unseasonably chilly. It was 30 degrees uh, and they're not used to it. So the Airbnb that I was staying at had no heat. <laughs> and so I spent like three days there and they had space heaters in this Airbnb, but they didn't have like a central heat. And I think no one this had is been the in... negative part of like Airbnbs. I just stayed in one and it's like all the details that you take for granted and amenities yeah. in a hotel, you can sometimes not get in an Airbnb. Uh, it's never something that I thought would have thought to ask. It was like, uh, like I was like, great, I have shelter on a chilly day, but um but hey, you know what? Like it makes sense that places in Austin they have central air, but they might not have central heating because they don't tend to need it. I'm feeling it. Like I'm feeling like like I think I like caught a bug or something like that. So I just, just uh, the temperature. Oh. Well, I've been like in sleeping for like three hours or three hours, um, three days and like inside. But it was it was brisk and just um, I'm so unacclimated to any kind of hardship. um, it was the worst the most important question being it's like when you were in austin texas did you go to a torchy's tacos no i not this time but i have been to one okay it's wonderful we took this uber after the conference and uh i'm feeling barbecue and we picked you know whatever number one or number two was off of yelp so we get this uber and he's like he's like where are you going it's like we're going to we're going to get some barbecue. We're going to this place called like Terry Black's. It's number two on Yelp. It looks pretty good. And he's like, nah. <laughs> like that, it's like the best barbecue isn't on Yelp. <laughs> and we're like, oh, it's like, we, I want to take you to Black's. And, and we're like, well, that's where we're going. And he's like, no, 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 not Terry Black's. Black's barbecue. I'm going to take you there. Like, but no lie, we arrived to this uh, smokehouse that as soon as we walk in, he's like, all right. It's like, you're going to order a fatty on a bun and a sausage link or a sausage ring. And so we did, or I did. And it was the best experience of that entire weekend. I think that's actually perfect from what we were talking about last week. Like we were talking about something that's minimal UI, 
minimal cognitive load, ease of use. I honestly think Uber and Lyft, and I mean, you can say what they want about each company. They're the same company, essentially, like when you boil it down. Right. Um, that experience is phenomenal. That, you know, basically you're tapping into the towny knowledge, right, of people when you go to a place you're not familiar with and you're like, oh, we're going to check out this Yelp review. And they're like, have you thought about this local place no one's ever heard of? And then I would say like 90% of the time you have a positive experience. I don't know the people who have bad experiences with Uber or Lyft. I've never had one. I, I've always had really good ones, but I talk to the driver and I ask them questions yeah. and, you know, so and maybe that's a part of it. I don't. No, I think so. And well, sometimes you end up with one who has, you know, like super positive ratings or whatever, but they are just not a chatter. You know, if they match up positive ratings with positive ratings, because you're rated too as a driver or as a writer. I would assume um, they do. Yeah, because so, I would assume that they would, you would want that. And I, I, I've never been on the other side, like a driver. But you, I would assume you could say, like, I don't want to take rides that are not at least a three-star because they're yeah. Yeah. Well, like, now I want to start taking rides or preferring rides by, like, personality, right? Like, it's like, I want someone who's a five-star driver and, like, has great recommendations or something like that. When I was in Austin, I was on Uber, and I was at a UX conference, and basically, like, you know, everyone's like, Franklin's Barbecue, go there. And it's like, you have to get in line at four in the morning to get something at 11, <laughs> And it's like, I'm at a, I have an hour lunch break. I don't, I can't yeah. do that. But then uh, an Uber driver would say like, oh, you should check out this place. It's always, you can get the food within 10 minutes and, you know, it's just as good. Don't listen to that Yelp BS. You know, that <laughs> it's like, everyone says like, this is the best one. And it's like, it's all hype. It's like barbecues, barbecue, you know? So, and then... I found all these little cool places in Austin from actually talking to Uber drivers, like the Museum of the Weird and the Bat Bridge. And like, and when yeah. I went to Torchy's Tacos, they were like, don't go to a store, go to the truck. And I'm like, what? And they're just like, <laughs> you know, there's a little, they have a standalone cars and they move around. And he's like, I know where it is this week. I'll take you there. And it was just like this little fort, this little park with four food trucks. And one of them was a Torchy's Tacos, you know. And just like, I think last week or a couple of weeks ago, I was like, oh, y'all have to go play Sanu was a sacrifice speaking of world war one so peter jackson had produced a, a documentary called uh, they shall not grow old a nonprofit, um i think museum they approached him years ago with all of this archived footage of the great war and we've all seen this they're moving at kind of like hyperspeed as they walk down the street it's obviously silent because it's the 19 teens they have a sepia they have scratches all over the film it's their turn of the century film experience and they approached him with all this footage and said like i think you can have all this footage for free and so what he ended up doing was investing a lot of his team's time and technology uh, over months and years in trying to clean up that footage. They slowed it down. They hired voice actors to lip sync. They hired lips, lip, lip readers and voice actors to lip sync over, you know, these, these silent conversations that are captured on film. And then they colorized it. And it's um, a documentary you're saying? It is. The first 20 minutes is narrative over this old footage then all of a sudden like you're on the big screen the the square 
sepia 19 teens old footage like expands to fill the whites or the wide screen suddenly the traffic and the folks everything that's happening slows down to like a like the real a real life pace and the reason it's fast is because these used to be crank cameras and it would just depend on how fast the person was cranking the film and then they were able to tell this like pretty striking documentary about you know life in the trenches and in a no man's land with audio with color in World War One, with real footage. What is this um, called again? It's called They Shall Not Grow Old. I would have never expected to encounter, for lack of a better word, something I didn't expect, right? This this kind of, a, like what Peter Jackson did with this footage was mesmerizing. And it raised the bar of documentary, especially in terms of using this old like public domain footage. And he was able to present it in a way that appeals to like modern audience that's actually really on point or in line with what you were saying about sinuous sacrifice when you were saying that in sinuous sacrifice you're getting there's no hud or user interface or tutorial but you're kind of finding out that her and i'm i think i'm remembering this correctly that her dead tribes people or elders are voices in her head or schizophrenia you don't know and that's what's telling you and giving you cues in the thing so it's basically the medium itself is teaching the player how to go through a game go using a documentary with i mean having a documentary with a video of the time but then repurposed in a format to actually say you know you know relay the content um, is ingenious. I mean, why try to obfuscate it or take it away? Like, I feel this happens a lot, and I see this a lot. And anytime I've tried to do certifications online recently or courses online, or I think people, the first thing is like, okay, we're going to try to figure out a way to do blah, blah, blah exercise. The first thing that people do is like, let's make an app. Okay, here's our app screen, and here's our app window. And it's just like, a, it's kind of, you're already jumping to a solution, but B, like, it's like, I think it's indicative of that kind of, let's get a framework, let's get, like, uh, maybe not an API, or let's get, like, something to to start us in our place. And it's like, maybe think about the problem more and think about what the best way is to not just onboard the user, but kind of move it. And I think people respond to those experiences, right? Like, I think when people see it in a game or a documentary, like you say, they're just like, this is a whole new level. This is, this is more meaningful, you know, and it makes much more of an impression on them. You make a great point about the assumptions that you make when you're like, Oh, all right, we're going to solve this with an app without asking, you know, the real question as to you know whether this this is best solved by an app uh so in like like both experiences have these kind of like a documentaries uh kind of like behind the scenes um interviews and stuff and what was true for both of them was that they approached the original material and the original problem and let that dictate what the solution was and did due diligence during like a, a deep a deep discovery phase without any idea of what the solution might be. This is exactly the same with the Ouija board. I don't know if you, not the Milton Bradley, like voodoo kind of black arts. What? Kind of, <laughs> the Ouija board as it's used in aircraft carriers. Have you ever heard of like the Ouija board or? No, no, sorry. Like, yeah, cause I'm thinking, so like this, this ice cold Airbnb I stayed at was basically the kind of Airbnb that I as, you know, like a, 
Like you're a, gonna get possessed. Uh, no, <laughs> as as a corporatized like ex goth or whatever. This is precisely the Airbnb that I would have had, and he had decorated it with Ouija boards. Oh um, my god! Are so you safe? Are yeah, you okay? weird serendipity. <laughs> I, well, I don't know. Like, <laughs> like, have you been seeing things? Do has people been coming to you and telling you things? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. It's like, what's gonna happen? We're gonna publish the metric episode seventy. It's a one sided conversation because Tim was never there. Yeah. <laughs> so. Hey, I, I'm the type of purpose that uh, I don't want to get metaphysical or life or whatever in there, but it's just like I don't fucks with Ouija boards. I'll just say that. But the term Ouija board is uh, a term that they use in aircraft carriers in the Navy to where to simulate um, the deck of the aircraft to where to park planes. It's called an Ouija board. And so what it is, is traditionally, I mean, the more and more I work in defense and for the military and the government doing ux um which is what i do at my current job now which more is fascinating and more, like, well, the more and more i'm flabbergasted about like oh my god is this what we do because <laughs> when i see the solutions for like their apps and like how they coordinate fire and communicate missions and things like this it's just like i'm appalled really um but anyways um they have like a physical a table that has a physical, and this is on Wikipedia. I'm not giving anything secret here away. It's surprising actually how much of everything about the user experience and the apps of the defense in the army are literally out on Wikipedia. Um, but anyways, they have this drawing like to scale of like what the top of the aircraft carrier looks like. And they have little toy planes that are actually toys that they use to put them in place. And they have stickers and flags that go on them to let them know if they're in repair, it's red, or if it's being refueled, it's maybe yellow. If it's good to go, it's green or whatever. And so when you talk about the simplest medium and format and letting the problem and the parameters be dictated of like, what's how are we going to build a solution for this? Well, let's really dive into the problem and let that do it. They found out that you know we can make an app we can try to do a digital display we can put it in a touch screen but honestly what's the most useful way to solve this kind of ux problem is that we have toy planes with flags and we move them around and that's literally um the best way to be like we cannot park any more plane on the aft side of the you know the carrier because we it's already full we're gonna have to divert them to here and it's it you think that's you know that's wow, there would be a much more sophisticated or digital or technologically savvy solution for it. But it turns out that that is so much more easy to, all the information is there. It is kind of in physical objects. It's, you can look at it and you can get like hundreds of data points from it. And it's easy to manipulate and move. And under attack, when electricity is the first thing to go out, you know, bam, we still have this board that shows our status, right? And so it's kind of like the best solution for the scenario. And you know, it's the best that has minimal onboarding for a new person. It's like, hey, these are our planes. If they have these flags, they're these colors. That's where they mean. And if we're full here, we can't divert planes there, you know. But it's, you know, that cognitive load is gone. And then the medium itself is, can't think of a better medium to actually moving toy planes around to represent real planes, you know. I'm interested in this conversation we've just stumbled into that it's all about, you know, opportunities for solving problems 
before assuming that it's going to be solved by like a website or an app. That whole book I keep plugging all the time. No UI. I'm no UI. I I I, I know I've said it in every single episode, but it's like it really changed. I read it my last year when I worked at higher ed libraries, and it really changed my perspective on user experience in regards to we are just obsessed with putting digital solutions and UIs on things to to solve problems. And in fact, sometimes that it's like a burger joint that just leaves the tickets at the table that says, Oh, just fill out what you want on your burger. And yeah. like, and that's the best way for gets picked up by a server that goes to the kitchen, the cook fills it out. And then it comes on your, Hey, this is what you ordered. It says your name on it. And this is it. We built it exactly the way you could put a digital app to where you have people waiting in line to fill out what they're, burger once and that could print out a receipt that goes to the kitchen and does it this is like it's just easier and it works for the you know the service and experience of a restaurant to have little pencils at each table and a little build your own burger thing have you ever been to a place like that before oh yeah yeah um well yeah 100 percent. i've also been to the place where they have like those little order tablets at the end of each table and what they are just fingerprinted grease plates um when they're disgusting right <laughs> yeah um yeah, no, this is the this is my takeaway coming out of this uh this small conference that I was at in Austin, which just demonstrated that um there are a lot of really clever like web and app solutions, but they all seemed, I don't know, too complex, too like overthought. Forced um, it, or clunky. It, yeah. Forced is a good one. Uh, some some weren't clunky, but it was just this like gnawing thing that was in the back of my head that I was like, well, this is cool, but I don't know if that like solves anything for me if if I were in that situation. So it's more so just looking at the problem a little bit more instead of like, hey, let's put a user interface on your washing machine, which may not be, you know, the best solution and actually may cause more cognitive load and more steps. Yeah, definitely. I couldn't say that better. Um, the, the big one for me was when I, I like hooked up my Amazon echo to some Philips Hue lights and, and automated my lighting in my house by voice. And it's, it's one of those things where I didn't realize that this was even a need. Like I did this purely because of course, like, why wouldn't I, I'm just gonna, I'm going to play around and hook it up. What's funny is that I find that there's tons of times where I need to flip a switch and I'm out of reach. So the placement of my, like our, our small kitchen in the house is the poorest lighted room and it's fine like right now uh and like if i was in there i could navigate and so on but in the event that like a a cloud passes quickly over the sun or something and it gets dark you've been in these situations where all of a sudden it's like oh it's like it's like a shadow looms over your entire house or whatever it becomes really difficult to see and so i've had situations where like i've had something like hot in my hands or like i'm playing with the oven or whatever and it gets and it gets dark and I, I would have never thought to, I don't know, create a service to like solve that specific problem. But, you know, I can just say like, I'm not going to say it now because it's an earshot, but name of my Amazon Echo. <laughs> um, 
turn on the kitchen light. There's um, actually that MIT UX certification I was telling you that I've started doing. Yeah, yeah. How's it going? It's great. It's actually in three weeks. Uh, I'm three weeks in, I guess. And they have a very scientific method of approaching UX. And then a lot of what you learn in the certification is still kind of cutting edge to where it's like, this is the theory we're going with, and this is what we're practicing and researching now. Oh, interesting. And so how we use science and the scientific method of human-centered interaction and usability and heuristics, like to look at it, which is interesting, but they really push like, you know, what is the context of kind of the situation? Um, you know, what is the, when you were saying like, let's just slap a UI on it, you know, but it's more so there's a huge piece. It's like the best type of interaction is we're human beings. You know, when we communicate to each other, it's verbal, it's semantic where we're moving and it's also looks. And then we actually reference objects by pointing to them or touching them. And so you know, what they're really focused on, and I agree with this, um, and especially to your point about, you know, all that Amazon seems to be hiring right now is UX for voice, right? And so multimodal interaction is where you can communicate in several different ways with a system or an interface. It's amazing, like some of the things that they're working on, which is going to be like, I can talk to an app, but I can also touch and gesture with the app and it can talk back to me and it can also kind of respond. And so um, it's kind of interesting because uh, what they're thinking is like, that's where UX is going to go. It's just not going to be, hey, Alexa or Google, I call it Googleina, even though it's just Google, okay, Google, or like Siri to where it's just a voice input, but it's more so like, no, what happens to the powerfulness there when we combine that with gesture and we can combine that with they know where we are. And um, so that multimodal kind of interaction is kind of what's amazing. Something that we've been using for months and it's this morning. Uh, so we have we have a Google Home in our bedroom and an Amazon Echo, like in kind of like the main living space. When we wake up, the first one who rolls out of the bed, you say like um, um, something like, uh, okay, Google, Googleina, <laughs> uh, good morning. And you might say like, what's new or something like that. And the and Google basically responds with a uh, kind of like a, a data dump that is everything about like, hey, um, here's what's on your calendar. Here's the weather. Here are selected snippets from CNN, BBC. Um, they play the the New York Times, the Daily podcast, or whatever like that. That's cool. I mean, I, don't, I have a home. I, I get it on my phone. And it says, like, here's your travel to work, and here's how much traffic, and here's what's going on and on your thing today. But I don't have it tell it to me, you know? Well, so, so yeah, so that's one of those things that's in the morning, like you're, you're up, you're, you're brushing your teeth or whatever. You're staring like groggily, like in the mirror. It's, it's one of those things that that is when you're, I don't know, again, it's just, it's just playing the news for you in the morning and telling you like, what's up, but it's, that's something that has become habit. Uh, and it's something that I've, that, that has become incredibly valuable because what, um, what I see that that's changed in my behavior um, is that I don't seek that information the night before. I think that I had this habit of like, oh, I'd go to sleep and I'd I'd fall asleep like browsing Reddit or looking at the news or or something like that, right? Um, sometimes I go to sleep thinking about the day ahead. That's, that's one of those little like productivity um, suggestions. That's like, hey, lay out your clothes, da 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 da, da etc. I've taken that away from like the nighttime routine that's no longer part of it my nighttime routine is not concerned with the outside world it's creating a lot less like anxiety yeah 
That's actually interesting. It makes me start oh to God. think about... Alexa heard that. Hold on one second. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just like... I've... That's like Always the main of voice interaction. It's like... Um, See who will not be named. <laughs> Turn on my lights. You know, <laughs> that's fine. I also wonder. This is total, total tangent. It's like, why is it always female names? Like it's Cortana, Alexa, and Siri. You know, I don't. So I, um, I recently rebooted, um, or reinstalled iOS on my phone, and it came back with the male Siri. Oh, okay. Um, and um, I haven't changed it back only because, you know what? I just don't use Siri that often. There's a, a friend of mine has like a uh, a Garmin or a TomTom, and you yeah. can download Darth Vader's voice, and you can download like Homer Simpson's voice, but you can also do Snoop Dogg. That's and awesome. Like the 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 default Australian or Scottish one are hilarious. Those are the ones, not hilarious, but I mean, I think those are the most entertaining, and those are the ones I want to listen to. I I like the idea of like like releasing like a Scottish brogue that is so thick it's inaudible, <laughs> right? I've been thinking pretty hard about how you uh, develop for this kind of opportunity, even if you don't know what that opportunity is. So all of this is really interesting. I love the idea of zero web. Maybe it's web. Maybe zero web is not um, appropriate because everything's the web, but zero user interface or no UI. Um, I, I love these. This is the space that has really captured my imagination. Yeah, there's a, uh, a, you know, like a responsive web app or a native app or, you know, a progressive web app or, or whatever. I mean, those are all great and maybe a solution. It's almost 50% of a time is, is building a UI, right? To where, um, not in a bad way, but it's just like, how are we going to, see and test if a human can use and understand in a screen how to do the things that we're wanting them to do. That's maybe aggregating, pulling in APIs or doing even CRUD for like metadata or like, I don't, whatever. Right. But I'm also like kind of interested as well when, when you were talking about how can UX reduce anxiety? How can, how does it function like in emergency situations and how can it like even things with mental health, like uh, help with depression or help with, you know, kind of situations that are like that. So improving the quality of life, you know, this might be like an interesting um, thread to follow up on next time. Uh, I, I like this kind of, I like this train of thought. There, there's a couple ways um, we could take it uh, just by things that you mentioned in the last uh, minute services and, and curation to reduce, reduce the signal, not, not just improve the signal to noise ratio, but reduce the signal entirely. Um, I don't look at the news deliberately every day, except for that little bl- uh, blip in the morning um, where I'm only partially paying attention because, you know, I just woke up or whatever. Um, and that's because the news is consistently bad. Um, and yeah, right. And, and I have found that in terms of like my personal headspace, I'm in a much better area and the news that matters will continue to matter Sunday mornings. When I read the news, like I want an update every other day. And those are things that we can schedule, but I also may want an update only every other day when there's significantly, you know, or something hits these triggers. Um, And that kind of customization 
end tools and service provision, give the user the a way to weight their own algorithm to see what news they even see. Um, I, I personally, like what I do is, print. I think everyone's different, but I mean, talking about settings and parameters and preferences to improve life or complement how you want to work. I think that's a great topic for, I mean, yeah. that's the same thing of like UX to improve quality of life, to reduce anxiety, depression, or, you know, I think this is all the kind of the same thing, you know, um, how does it work with your life, right? I'm ter- personally the type of person that I want, I'll do f- 12, 10 to 15 minutes of news a day. And it just covers what happened in the world yesterday. That's right. all that I want. And so I actually have a specific thing I can talk about next time. That's how I do that. And it's just like, yeah, I do this um, first thing of my day and then it's over and I'm done. And then I don't do it again until the next day. And, and it's technology has allowed me to to do that how i can subscribe to a, a subset of a feed or or you know or uh so i i think that's a valid topic like yeah maybe this topic has evolved not just into like a like ux that reduces anxiety but really more about like how how is it like what techniques do we use to both stay current but also not suffer information overload right you know like think of all the newsletters that you subscribe to if any uh, think of all the Slack channels you're in, if any. Think of all the people you follow, the 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 hot takes that come out every day, all the news. Makes me actually think of like the Brad Frost gave a TED talk one time called "Death to Bullshit." I don't know if you ever saw yeah. it, so but it's I like had co- I, I had coffee. I was I was standing. I, I I did not have coffee with Brad Frost last week. I stood in the coffee line behind Brad Frost last week. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, I've, he's a cool guy. I've met him a couple of times in person because cool. he's from Pittsburgh. You know, he's super humble. I, I that's what I, he did a keynote for this conference. Yeah, and so. he actually had like he also did the creative exhaust one, which I'm a, a big fan too. Where it's like, hey, document your process because other people may want to use it. You know, but his death of bullshit is decent because it actually he talks about this German or Austrian or Swedish artist. I'm probably getting this wrong, but basically like took one day of Instagram posts and printed them out. And then basically it filled like an entire warehouse of like 10 feet deep of like actual uh, Polaroid like photos. Right. Oh my God. And, and just to kind of emphasize, this is one day of information overload on the planet earth. You know, this is how much digital waste, not waste, but you know, how much information you yeah. know, we're putting into the flooding the world with on a daily basis. So how do things like settings or filters or techniques, UX techniques to allow users to eliminate, I don't know, declutter or like, I don't know what the best way to describe this is apart Spark from like, joy. To spark joy, declutter, filter out, or let you function because otherwise, I don't even. We're in the age of where people are like running away from Facebook because yeah. it's too much news, too as much. well as their friends, as well as their family, as well as funny memes. It's like I can't. I have to like reduce it. I I can't take it all. It's like a it's a, like a fire hose in the face all the time. Next week on Metric Episode Seventy One, how we deal with bullshit. <laughs> this has been seventy episodes of Metric, the UX podcast. The best way that you can help us celebrate is to share this and our backlog with your friends. Find them all at metricpodcast.com. Find us on Twitter at Metric Podcast. Find Tim at UX Bear. Find me at Stoeyfield. Uh, rate and review a star heart favorite and your podcatcher of choice like these things help a ton um thank you so much you guys heard the spiel please uh review us somewhere positively if you don't care about us at all but you're still at the end of this podcast say so in a comment that'd be awesome see you then